0: Felix should have prepared me for you. How about a cup of tea? Sure. May I throw in a couple of cakes?
1: Well, how did you know I hadn't eaten since yesterday morning?
0: Oh, I'm the near-sighted. you can't hide a thing from me type of aunt.
1: I see. Well, you needn't look so noble. Tea is only a little hot water.
0: I'll go and put the kettle on. I'll let you know what I think about you later.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin.
0: I'm David Daw.
1: And this week we are discussing Four Daughters. Yep. And we are halfway through the 1938 nominees with this movie.
0: Yeah, with this movie, that's just a mashup of like four separate movies we watched. This movie has one smart girl, one daughter whose distinguishing characteristic is Sings, Amy from Little Women, the other one, and then a veritable rat's nest of Baxters. Like so many Baxters.
1: It is indeed uh, a I don't know, like, what is the plural of Baxter's? Like, you have a murder of crows.
0: (laughs) A disappointment of Baxter's?
1: (laughs) It does have a disappointment of Baxter's, yes. I would say an embarrassment of Baxter's.
0: (laughs) So the other thing about this, I got to the end of this movie and thought this movie had a twist ending because, Susan, is the guy that Amy from Little Women leaves at the altar the same guy as the one who swings back and forth on the gate? Or is that a different dude?
1: No, that's the same guy. Okay. That's Felix. I thought it was, but... Slash Mr. Deets.
0: Okay. That's what's confusing is she calls him Dietz in that last scene, which she almost never does through the entire rest of the movie. And I'm like, this cannot be a different man. And yet it totally could because no one in this movie has any distinguishing characteristics besides how they look, except for Mickey Borden, whose distinguishing characteristic is the worst.
1: Yeah, Mickey is the second level gangster in a noir film. Yeah. Not the good at heart one who you're rooting for, but the one who dies, who like has a sudden redemption at the end. So the gangster you're rooting for can like come to his senses or
0: whatever. (laughs) I guess we should talk about the plot of this movie so that people know why Mickey is like that. Although they still won't. I have no idea why Mickey is like that in this movie, but he is.
1: We should definitely regale our audience with the absurd melodrama of this two-hour soap opera. Uh, There are four daughters who are the children of Adam Lemp who is played by Claude Rains, who actually plays a pretty good non-villain for once.
0: Yeah, he's borderline a villain in that he is kind of an asshole. But
1: he's like a lovable grumpy asshole instead of trying to kill our hero. Yeah. (laughs) He's a music professor, I guess, and his four daughters are all musicians of varying kinds. Emma is the one who sings. Thea is the one that I forget exists. Anne is Amy from Little Women, who is the one blonde. Kay? Or is Kay the one who sings? It doesn't really matter.
0: (laughs) I think Kay is the one who sings. Yeah,
1: right, because Emma is the one who. Emma
0: is the smart one. Which you can really only tell because she loudly announces she's the smart one a lot. Other than that, she doesn't really do any smart one things.
1: That's true. She is like, I'm not the pretty one. I'm the smart one. And you're like, um, okay. Yeah. Emma's involved with some guy named Ernest.
0: Who is the most earnest human on the face of the planet. And the most Baxter. Oh, for sure. Of all the Baxters in this movie, it's weird he's the only one that like gets a happy ending full stop. Because he is the baxter Baxter in this movie full of Baxters.
1: Yes. Thea is being courted by Ben Crowley, who is some rich guy. She doesn't really love him. She just likes the security of potentially marrying this rich guy.
0: Right. And if you think there's a lot to explore there, well, maybe one of the sequel movies does it. Because in this one, she just marries him and has money and seems to not be interested in her husband at all. And that's her entire plot.
1: They don't even get married by the end. They're still just engaged.
0: Right. Wait, no, I thought they were married by the like big Christmas dinner or whatever.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that is just Ernest who is still engaged. I'm confused by the whole situation.
0: No, I think Ernest also gets married during the like time skip, the like six month time skip.
1: No, there is definitely one of them at the Christmas dinner who says they expected to be bossed around by their wife but not by their fiance.
0: Oh, right, it is Ernest. Okay. It is Ernest that it says that, yes.
1: Anyway, then along comes Felix. Who, for unknown reasons, just swings on their squeaky gate of their, of course, picket fence, which Anne hears because she's the violin player and she keeps thinking that maybe she's playing a bad note or something and then realizes it's not her, that it's the gate and goes out to see him and they have a like, I guess, meet cute sort of antagonistic flirtation and he somehow knows Professor Lemp through like family ties.
0: Yes. This scene is also weird because as cast as Susan is making it sound, and it is, that is the most development any relationship in this movie about four girls and their relationships gets for the entire film. Yeah. We both swing on gates because whimsy is like <laughs> as much of a connection as anybody has in this film.
1: So Felix moves into their house. Which must be massive to have four adult children, a spinster aunt and the dad, and can still accommodate Felix.
0: And Mickey. Mickey moves in too.
1: Eventually, yeah.
0: That house is friggin' huge.
1: Felix moves in and everybody is just totally charmed by Felix. And to be fair, Felix is annoyingly perfect. The way that he teases everybody runs right up to the line of being irritating or rude and never is, and he's just very, very sweet, and, like, the only thing that is bothersome about him at all is that he writes contemporary music, which, as an audience member, doesn't bother you, but bothers Professor Lem.
0: The other thing that is bothersome about Felix is he is just extremely boring as a result of that.
1: Yes. (laughs) He has a really great smile. Apparently, Errol Flynn was supposed to play this part, and Jeffrey Lynn, who plays Felix Deeds, is doing his absolute best and is coming off as Dime Store Errol Flynn.
0: A little bit, though. I'm not sure Errol Flynn could pull off the third act where Felix actually has to act a little bit.
1: Oh, absolutely not. But as far as, like, the beginning where he's supposed to be charming and you're like, I don't even know why I like this person, but you do... It's like a little
0: forced. All the daughters instantly fall in love with him, but especially Anne slash Amy from Little Women. And Emma. Well, that hasn't happened yet. That's a weird thing that just suddenly starts happening like 15 minutes after Felix shows up. Like that first dinner party scene, everybody really seems to be like throwing him at Anne that like everybody's watching Felix show up out the window and it's like so excited for Anne. Then there's this weird outdoor scene by like a river.
1: They're having the family picnic, which they refer to as the family picnic. So we know that this is a like yearly thing. Also, I want to point out all of these daughters are like easily in their 20s and still all live at (laughs) home.
0: I think this is just on the older end of what age is anyone. Because it seems like K is one of the older ones.
1: is the oldest. We know that. Okay. And Anne is the youngest.
0: Right. And Anne is like at the start of the film, so young, the concept of love has no appeal. Like, it has never occurred to her to be romantically interested in someone.
1: Yeah, she makes Emma promise that they'll be spinsters and have a cat.
0: Which is an absolute what age is anyone seen. Because, like, Anne is playing that scene like she's, like, 12.
1: Yeah, but she's obviously an adult woman. Ah, is she? Like, to look at her. Um,
0: Okay, yes. But, like, in the context of this film, is she?
1: I mean, maybe she's 17.
0: Yeah. Like, that would be my guess as, like, what age she's supposed to be.
1: I mean, the actor Priscilla Lane is 23 in this movie? Yeah. 22,
0: 23. It is not the problem of three smart girls where, like, they all look radically the wrong age. You can give them an age that makes sense throughout this film, but, like, you could also give them three other ages that would make sense.
1: Yeah, but none of them are 14.
0: No, I don't, I don't. No.
1: Not like in Three Smart Girls.
0: Anne is the only one who is potentially underage, um, and that is really just how she acts in Act 1, which is, like, I think just a writing problem and not an intended read of her age. But the... The picnic. The picnic. Yeah. Anyway, Felix comes over and is like, can you do some sewing for me to Thea or Emma? Which one falls in love with him? Emma. Emma. Fuck. This, like, I'm so sorry about how confusing this is. It's this confusing to watch. Like, like, I'm constantly getting the girls confused. I'm constantly getting the Baxters confused, except for Mickey.
1: I didn't get the guys confused because they all looked, like, distinctly different from one another. But other than Anne having blonde hair, all of the other girls look roughly the same, which three of them are actually sisters, like, in real life. And Emma just looks exactly like all of that. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Emma then instantly falls in love with Felix because he needs sewing done, (laughs) which is very strange and that sudden. But the reason that that strange and sudden thing is happening is that Felix is about to propose to Anne. And that's going to get complicated because Mickey Borden's about to walk in from a completely different goddamn movie. (laughs)
1: Yes. So Felix has a piece that he's going to enter in some kind of contest. And Mickey is his friend and he arranges music. So he shows up and is like greasy hair looks like he's on a hangover from like a three year bender cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Like, yeah totally different movie. Did Felix find him in the dead-end kids
0: alley? Okay, first of all, one, Felix found him in a gin joint. It is impossible to find Mickey in anything that isn't called a gin joint. (laughs)
1: Yes, in a gin joint that is on dead-end alley.
0: (laughs) Second of all, it is wild to me that Mickey's, like, role in this film and kind of archetype is shirtless guy playing an acoustic guitar that won't shut up about his ex-girlfriend. But that doesn't exist in the 1930s. And so the closest you can get is gangster who plays piano. With
1: a cigarette hanging out of his mouth.
0: (laughs) Yes. And so he wanders in and makes some initially pretty delightful banter with Felix and Aunt Etta. And then Anne walks in and he just immediately starts like looking out the window and monologuing wistfully about like the bitch of fate and how like, ah, I'm always screwed. I'm always holding the losing hand. And it's like, oh, girl, you got to get out of there like immediately.
1: But again, she's somewhere between 17 and 23. So this really works.
0: (laughs) Yes.
1: Sadly, this is a thing that has stood the screen test of time, is that, unfortunately, <laughs> girls are conditioned to think that this is attractive. He's fucking Jordan Catalano of
0: 1938. Oh, for sure. And <laughs> he Jordan Catalano's it up for a couple of more scenes, gets creepily fixated on Anne, kisses her without her permission, which she is weirdly between the line of okay and not okay on. And then once she accepts the inevitable proposal from Felix... Mickey being an ass really goes into overdrive.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I also want to point out here that she does not seem to be torn in any way about Felix versus Mickey. Yeah. She gets kissed by Mickey and obviously is attracted enough to him that she's not repulsed, but she's like, no, don't do that because I'm involved with Felix. Yes. But then Mickey decides on the day of the wedding, like people are already dressed, day of the wedding, to tell Anne that Emma is in love with Felix.
0: Right. He not only does a sad sack, leave your fiancé and come with me. No, I'm telling you, come with me. Please, please come with me. When she's like, no, I'm not gonna do that. The way he doubles down is goes, just my luck, kicks the can that's magically appeared near his foot, because there's always one nearby, <laughs> and then tells her her sister is in love with her fiancé, which is such a shitty thing to do. Yep, but it works.
1: Yeah. Because
0: then Anne leaves Felix at the altar and goes with Mickey because question mark question mark question mark?
1: Because the movie needs that to happen. Yes. That is literally the only reason. Their whole involvement has been antagonistic, including that kiss, and he's been like incredibly insulting to be like, "Yeah, Andrew's sisters in love with your fiance." And so they go and elope and she sends a telegram to Emma that says, by the time that you read this, I will be married to Mickey Borden and we've eloped. Tell Felix I'm sorry or something like that. And then that's the end of that relationship. So we think.
0: Meanwhile, back at the like ruined wedding, Ernest decides to actually make a decision about something for the first time in the entire movie. And Emma is instantly so hot for him going like, Hey, um, you guys need to go. Like, that, like, it's that level of take action, action man. Is he goes out and like tells the priest, like, yeah, there's not going to be a wedding. And Emma is like, Oh my God, sploosh. (laughs) Like, so into it. He
1: made a decision. He took action on his own, which to be fair is like, you know, an attractive quality in a human being.
0: Yes, but the degree to which he makes a commanding decision and the degree to which she falls in love with him for it seem kind of out of whack. But the movie also needs that to happen, so it does.
1: Mickey and Anne move to New York, because of course they do, and they're living in squalor in some tenement. Then there's a scene at a bar with Mickey and his bandmates and Anne, And his bandmates were like, yeah, we're going to go to South America and play shows there. And everybody treats Anne like an afterthought. Mickey says some, like, really snide, abusive, but funny quotation things to her. And then they get invited home for Christmas.
0: Uh, Like, that whole section really just establishes, like, their marriage isn't working. (laughs) Duh. Anne has to, like, sell stuff constantly because Mickey never makes any money. Um, Because he's very busy complaining about how he never makes any money. And he's toying with the idea of leaving Anne. Like, that's what a couple of the jokes are about. Right. They get back to the Christmas party. Felix is there for some fucking reason.
1: Yeah, is still living in their house.
0: Yeah, wild. Like, imagine Felix's year where he's doing that for six months, yeah, living in the house where he got left at the altar. Anyway, Thea's there with her rich new husband. Emma's there making sure Ernest does whatever she says. Kay is not there because she's gone off to music school, uh, which is her entire plot. I'm going to go off to music school for the first act. Okay, I'm doing it, I'm leaving, in the second act, and then sings on the radio in the third act. That's everything Kay does. Yes. Anne and Mickey show up and try and put on a brave face about their terrible, terrible fucking marriage. Which goes badly, because Anne drops all of the receipts from the pawn shop out of her sleeve somehow, on the floor in front of Felix. Which,
1: like, why is she carrying them on their trip?
0: I have no idea.
1: You know, whatever.
0: As a result, Felix knows they're down on their luck, and Mickey invites himself to drive Felix to the train station when Felix suddenly announces he can't take it anymore slash he needs to go to Seattle immediately. There's a actually very good scene, but it is again like it's beamed in from another movie. <laughs> yep. Yeah. With the two of them in the car talking around both their issues. Mickey is trying to get an apology or not an ap I guess he kind of is actually he's trying to apologize, but in a way where he's trying to get an apology out of Felix almost for stealing his fiancée. And Felix is trying to go like, hey, Anne is probably miserable, right? You should take some money. And ends up stuffing money into Mickey's hands as he runs out the door of the car to get on this train, which causes Mickey to have an Act 3 of Stage Door level nervous breakdown.
1: Right, but I have to interject here. Before any of this happens... Emma and Anne are in the kitchen talking about the whole situation and Anne is like oh I'm kind of surprised that you're engaged to Ernest since you know you were in love with Felix which is the whole reason I left him and am married to this shit bag in the living room which she doesn't say in so many words but like it's there we're all faking it. And Emma is like, oh, you know, I if you had married Felix, then I would have gone my whole life thinking that I was in love with him. But because you didn't, and Ernest took some control of a situation, I realized actually that I love Ernest, and I wanted to slap the shit out of Emma in that moment. In,
0: yes, in Emma's defense question mark, one- Wasn't her idea to tell Anne about her having a thing for Felix. And two, there's not really a two. Why the fuck does she say that thing about how she would have been obsessed with him forever if they'd gotten married? If she just didn't say that part and just said like, yeah, I thought I was in love with Felix, but then I saw Ernest being who he could really be and I fell in love with him, then that's perfectly respectable. No,
1: the thing that she says is, It doesn't matter. He loved you. You were engaged. That was your relationship to have. And I'm so, so sorry that Mickey took advantage of your empathy to manipulate you into marrying him.
0: Right. But like, I think in Emma's defense, I don't think she fully knows that's what's going on. I think it's just this weird-ass thing her sister did, from Emma's point of view. Like, the note doesn't go like, and I'm doing this because my sister Emma is in love with Felix.
1: No, but she brings it up in that conversation. Like, that's the point where Emma should have been like, oh my god, I can't believe that that's the reason that you did this. I'm so sorry, I never wanted you to know. Instead of like... The way that she performs it is so like, oh, well, actually, you ruining your life was really good for me.
0: Yeah. Again, I don't think Emma knows her life is ruined. Like, she should be able to put two and two together. Yeah. Given how close they were in Act One. Look
1: at Mickey. Sure.
0: <laughs> she ought to be able to put two and two together and doesn't. And it's super shitty. Then Mickey smokes cigarettes so hard he crashes his car. <laughs> Which is, I, like, it's... Yeah. He's clearly also having a nervous breakdown and is, like, putting his foot on the gas. But, like, it's not like you see him drinking because, like, you can't see him drinking. So instead, because of the code, he's, like, just on cigarettes so hard <laughs> that all the windows fog up and he can't see and he's just putting his foot on the gas as he just drives into the night blindly.
1: I'm pretty sure the code would let him be drinking. I mean, that's... That happens a lot in these movies, but it's just that he's having a nervous breakdown and also it's totally in line with his character that he would have this like impulsive thought of if I kill myself, then Anne will be happy. But also she'll feel bad for me.
0: (laughs) For sure. Which, when he's dying tragically, question mark, in the hospital, is explicitly what he says his plan was. Like, he wouldn't shut up about how God's gonna strike him dead with lightning, and he's like, Sometimes you make your own lightning, kid. Gin joint. Give the old girl the runaround. looky Lou, My gal Friday. Good night. And falls over dead. <laughs>
1: After a moment that transpires, that is so beautifully 1938, where he's in the hospital and he's like, give me a cigarette. And Anne looks at the doctor like, can I do that? And the doctor's like, sure, go ahead. In the hospital, like in traction, wrapped in all sorts of bandages. Yeah, sure. Smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Why not? Nobody here is trying to not die.
0: (laughs) Anyway, Mickey's dead now. Anne is really broken up about that for some period of a time jump that I like to think was about 48 hours. (laughs) And then Felix comes back and does the like, remember the thing with the gate that I did before? And Anne's like, hell yeah, I did. Let's fuck. And that's the end of the movie.
1: Yep. And then there's a sequel where they obviously get married.
0: Because it's called Four Wives. And then there's another sequel called Four Mothers. Because apparently you wanted season two (laughs) and season three of this.
1: Yup. Yeah. So this is a difficult movie to grade for me because it is utterly ludicrous. There is no like real deep artistic value. The things that happen in it, the actions that people take... And the situations that they put themselves into are so daytime soap opera that it's very hard to look at it as a serious piece of art. But there is some really good acting in
0: it. There is. I also think in addition to the just like soap opera as shit nature of it, I think you can really for kind of the first time see the wheels turning in like the heads of producers on how to reverse engineer previous hits.
1: Oh yeah. This
0: feels so cobbled together from successful movies we have already watched Yeah, in a way where it's not just like, let's do this one movie and do it right this time. It's like this element is popular and this element is popular and this element is popular. So like, let's have a character whose whole thing is does musical numbers for no reason yeah I do think there's some really good acting like as much as I make fun of Mickey Borden John Garfield sells it Mickey's the worst but John Garfield does good work yeah I think also like when Felix actually has to act Felix does good acting
1: yeah the whole bit with him at Christmas is really great where he's really putting on how he's flirting with Aunt Etta which is like sweet for her because she's the old spinster. Like you kind of see through that where he's like, I'm the only one here who doesn't have anybody.
0: What I was saying about how it couldn't have been Errol Flynn is that sense of, like, oh, this guy's totally destroyed. There's nothing in the text that says this guy is totally destroyed, but, like, he's playing it as totally destroyed. And Errol Flynn would have played it as, like, nope, got left at the altar six months ago, but I'm fine, got a new job in Seattle. looky Lou, here's $500, good day. It would have just, like, really leaned into being Mr. Perfect. And Felix is like, this broke the dude.
1: There's actually something that's really moving about seeing somebody who was Mr. Perfect, who had it all, who was top of his emerging career, and then when he was about to snatch the brass ring, his whole life fell apart, and that he's put a brave face on for it through the whole thing, but that he's just
0: broken. Thea has no plot, Kay has no plot, this is really two daughters- Two daughters and a couple of cameos.
1: Mae Robson as Aunt Ada is very, very charming. Yes. She was the titular lady and Lady for a Day, and she's rocking it again in here. Claude Rains is quite good, and every moment that he is on screen, he's so much more restrained than I realized he was possible of being. Yes. Like, he's funny and he has snarky little comments, but he's not chewing the scenery. He's actually, like, in this movie. <laughs>
0: And speaking of in this movie, I thought Dick Foran, the guy that plays Ernest, he's not like doing a great acting job, but he is like setting. Oh, yeah, this is a proto sitcom.
1: He's the put upon husband.
0: Yes. And like he knows what movie he is in and he is acting in that movie.
1: Right. Yeah. uh, Ben Crowley is pretty forgettable. Yeah. But he also is written. I mean, he's literally written as a dollar sign. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. Like it's not a, it's not a bad movie, but it's also not a great piece of art. It's not a great piece of art, and it's not exciting. It's not The Grand Delusion. It's not Adventures of Robin Hood. There are no external forces acting on any of these people that make you think, like, oh, well, they're having a pretty rough time.
0: Yeah, it's three smart girls as melodrama instead of farce.
1: Yeah. So, uh, my score for this, are we ready for that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like a five.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm tempted to bump it up to a six because of a couple of interesting performances, but it's a five.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm actually bumping it up to a five from a four.
0: That's fair. To me, this is the five of, like, I just don't care. In my head, I have kind of things to say about this movie, but I will completely forget about this movie within a month. Like, I do that as a bit a lot, but, like, I really will on this one.
1: Yeah, I mean for for me a 6 is like I'm almost certainly going to recommend that you watch it with reservations or that like there is an audience for it.
0: Yeah. There's And there's
1: just not. Yeah,
0: there's no reason to watch this movie. So don't. <laughs> yeah, don't don't watch this film. Seeing what the hell we're talking about with Mickey Borden is my only argument for a six and or watch this movie, but that's so that you can know my pain question mark so that you can be confused with me. That's the only reason I would recommend this film. Be confused about the character of Mickey Borden with me.
1: I mean, surely John Garfield shows up in another movie someday that's more watchable. Oh, he's in The Postman Always Rings Twice.
0: Oh, well, that'll do it.
1: Yeah. So, you know, watch watch that instead. I haven't even seen it, and you should still watch that instead. Yeah, so uh, so for next week, we are, we're getting our Capra.
0: Hell yeah.
1: We've put in the time, we've gone through half of these movies, and now we get rewarded with You Can't Take It With You. Yeah. Hopefully. I've never seen it.
0: Yeah, I have not seen it either. It apparently was the highest grossing film of the year and has a lot of not like all-star, all-star actors, but like Frank Capra crew, all-star actors.
1: Which are in many ways better than the all star For sure. So, uh, until next week.
0: This was a soap opera, but they hadn't invented those yet.
1: <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye!